I'm going to try a little something different today for our Good Friday, Holy Saturday episode. And uh, I know people listen to podcasts pretty much anywhere and everywhere, right? But uh, what I'm going to do is actually I'm going to start off going through some of the night, the last night, up through the crucifixion in the burial, through the scriptures. And the second thing I'm going to do is I want to talk about faithfulness in the Christian life. And then at the very end, I actually want to do something a little bit more meditative. I'm going to invite you to open up your feelings, kind of uh, posture yourself towards uh, some of this story. And then we'll wrap up our meditative moment with a reflection on what needs to change, right? Now, don't worry, it's not going to be an altar call. But if this story doesn't change our actual ways of being in the world, if reading this story, if, if reflecting on it, doesn't lead to transformation of our attitudes, our practices, our daily ways of existing and relating, then it's worthless. The whole point of every single story in this big book called the Bible should be to transform us, transform us politically, socially, individually, spiritually, how we relate to our neighbors, our loved ones, our bodies, the planet. So yeah, we'll read through the story. I want to talk about faithfulness in the Christian life. And then we're going to do, we're going to try this meditative spot. We'll see how it goes. So we're going to go ahead and start in chapter 14, where the cup and the blood has just been shared at the Lord's Supper. And now Jesus says to all of the disciples that they will all become deserters. And Peter, of course, says, even though all will become deserters, I will not. You're probably right, Jesus. Everyone else is going to desert you, but not me. I am committed enough. I am faithful enough. I am determined enough. I love you enough. I will not abandon you. But Jesus pushes back and says, no, you're actually going to deny even knowing me. And Peter responds again, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. So we begin this night knowing that desertion is coming, abandonment is coming. Then they head on to a a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus says, listen, sit here while I go up to pray. Jesus says, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. So Jesus is really needing some, some emotional some support, some, some spiritual solidarity here. And he goes up the mountain. He throws himself on the ground, the text says, and prays and asks God, if this hour can pass from me, if it can go by and, and I just not be awake, if I could possibly be faithful in some other way, let it be so. But at the end of the day, it's not about what I want. It is your desire, your will, your love that must be adhered to. So it's interesting. We start off with this foretelling of betrayal and of abandonment, of a coming lack of faithfulness of the disciples. Then Jesus goes to Gethsemane, goes up the mountain, throws himself on the ground and prays to God and says, is there some other way? Can it be, does it have to be this hard? Does faithfulness have to mean abandonment? Why does faithfulness in this moment lead to torture and to death? 
And Jesus, just like Peter, says, ultimately, your will be done. I will not abandon you. I will not desert you. I will not betray this movement. But Jesus comes back down off the mountain and he finds his closest friends, his family, his comrades asleep. The stress, the agony, the terror inside of Jesus is ripping him apart and he comes back to his closest companions completely asleep and unable to be present with him through this hardship. Then Judas comes and betrays Jesus with the kiss and Jesus is taken to the council. And after hours of interrogation, they strip him naked, they spit on him, they blindfold him, and then they beat him. And the soldiers use their strength to crush his human body. Hours into this evening and early morning, Jesus is then taken to Pilate. And Pilate has Jesus in front of a crowd who follow the leadership of the religious elite, the people in power. And the relationship between Pilate and the religious elite is important because they mutually serve one another. They give and they take. Obviously, Pilate being in the position of greater power, but the religious elite have sided not with the material interests of the people, but of the political interests of the state. And they, of course, have done this because they've found something in it for them. Perhaps the reproduction of their power, uh, maybe an expansion of their pockets. And after Pilate has asked the crowd who is under the leadership of the religious elite what to do with Jesus, they cry out, crucify him, right? torture him. And so Pilate first has him flogged, his flesh ripped open through whip, and handed him over for a slow, torturous death. The armed wing of the state, then, right, the soldiers, carry on the torture through both mockery and physical force. They clothe him with a purple cloak, mocking him as the king, and they use a torture method that attacks Jesus spiritually, psychologically, and of course, physically. They twist thorns together to make a crown, and then they crush those thorns into his skull. They spit on him and kneel before him, and after mocking him enough, they lead him on a long, painful walk to his crucifixion. In chapter 15, verse 25, we see that it was nine o'clock in the morning when they begin to crucify him. And by three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with one last loud cry, Jesus breathes his final breath. And once the guards were sure of his death, his beaten, bruised, terrorized body is taken down from the cross, carried to a tomb. And they lay that body in a hole in the ground and seal it with a large stone, never to be moved again. And here we are, staring face to face with defeat. 
it's hard not to read that story, the, that narrative, and not just incredibly be moved by Jesus's commitment, his determination, his faithfulness. And faith for a lot of people, when they talk about faith, what they, what they what comes to their mind is kind of belief, this mere subscription to some kind of idea about something, whether that be God or Jesus or Bible, right? And to me, I think it's more helpful to think of faith as faithfulness. Faith is not merely something up in your head. Faith and faithfulness is something that's practiced. It's embodied. It's historically actualized and material. And as I thought about Good Friday and Holy Saturday coming up, I thought about how it was important for Jesus to go through a process of becoming faithful. To go through such great hardship with such persistence and determination, you don't just wake up one day and are able to withstand betrayal, abandonment, torture, death. That kind of deep love, that deep commitment has to be developed over time. And I think there's something here for us to reflect on when considering that Jesus was formed by his experience. Let's say he spent 33 years of life. He was formed by his lifelong relationships. And he came to his way of being in the world materially. He experienced other people and he experienced God bodily materially. Jesus spent a life feeling, seeing, developing new understandings. Jesus clearly was someone who was able to listen and learn from all of the people in his community. And that's actually one of the beautifully well-known things about Jesus, right? And that's actually one of the beautifully well-known things about Jesus. He listened and learned from people who society believed had nothing to teach, had no wisdom or knowledge to be learned from. But Jesus said, these marginalized people, these super oppressed people, have great wisdom and great knowledge that I must come to understand and be formed by. And so Jesus spent his life listening, learning, feeling, and then coming to a new set of ideas, and then sharing those ideas, right? Speaking with his people. At some point, he began to organize folks. And and along the way, he certainly, like all of us, made some mistakes. But I think Jesus is someone who sought to actually rectify some of those mistakes. And so he would start the whole process all over again, but with greater insight, greater knowledge of the people and the enemy but still with a deeper love and a deeper commitment. So he would go out and he would listen and he would learn more. He would organize deeper, organize wider. He would make new mistakes and yet again be led to greater degrees of insight and knowledge, greater degrees of love, commitment, and faithfulness to what he came to see as the work in presence of God. And so his faithfulness was not his theology. His faithfulness can be seen in his attitude. His faithfulness can be seen in his habits. 
His faithfulness can be seen in his practices and relationships with people. But something really spoke to me when I was reflecting on this passage about the idea that his faithfulness was constantly being made new through new encounters, new relationships, new knowledge, even to his last breath, right? Jesus had never went through torture before. Jesus had never been crucified. And so to me, when I look at the life, the work, and the death of Christ, I see this process of becoming ever more faithful. And that this insight should speak to our faith as well. That we, too, are in a process of becoming faithful. We will make mistakes. There will be failures. But if we're committed to push through the hardship, if we're committed to listen and to learn from the masses and from those society says we have nothing to learn from, then perhaps our faithfulness, too, can be developed deeper, developed wider. Because with every new moment, every new situation, we have new work to do. There are new ideas that must be understood. And our relationships themselves have become new. So we, so the process of learning and listening and understanding, the process, of course, of organizing and developing our struggle and our knowledge and our wisdom, the process of developing our understanding of the violence of the world, understanding what must be done in this given situation, and even the understanding of what ultimately must be done, the long-term interests of the masses. This, along with the development of our actual activity in struggle, is all in a process of becoming. And so, so too is our faithfulness. But on this day of defeat for us Christians, right, because that's exactly what has happened, the Jesus movement and all that it stands for has been defeated on this day, on this night. And so one thing is made clear to us who call ourselves, who think of ourselves, who believe ourselves to be Christian. And that is that the Christian life is a life of hardship, a life of sacrifice, a life of co-suffering, pain, uncomfortableness, and great death. Now, I'm not saying this is the only part of the Christian life, but today we need to sit with the reality that a true church ought to be a church that shoulders the burdens of the world, that joins those struggling for liberation, freedom, and justice to the point that we ourselves become the people who are struggling today against capitalism, against imperialism, against colonialism, patriarchy, and oppression. Today we sit in the fact that the true Christian life is a life of hardship. And as I said at the beginning of this reflection, this narrative, this story has to lead to change. Change deep within our souls, deep within our spirits, so that we don't 
just continue to live in the same way so that we don't continue to be distracted by all of the entertainment and consumption of this world and we fail to live a life that fucking fights against evil, fights against forces of exploitation and oppression and death. The gospel story is to transform us. And so for a moment, I ask you to have some courage to sit with me just for a few minutes in the worst part of this story. Open up your feelings. Sit at the feet of the faithful one, the crucified one. Imagine Jesus up on that cross. Don't blink. Keep those eyes open. Don't look away. Hear the cries, the moans, the shortness of breath. Jesus spitting blood. And now the silence. Those cries, those moans, the shortness of breath, all of that is known to our people today. The crucifixion isn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago. The crucifixion continues to torment our own bodies, our neighbors, the laboring and toiling masses. The silence is known all too well by nationally oppressed people, by women, queer folk, and trans persons. You see, the crucifixion is also a site where we must listen and learn. We cannot know the truth if we avoid the reality of our own suffering and the reality of other people's suffering. Now, you and I, we carry the body to the grave. And we watch that stone be rolled and the tomb sealed shut. Sit with me. Sit with me in despair outside of this tomb. Let us sit together in our defeat. And we must ask ourselves, are we really committed to this? How determined are we to give our lives to the work of God? Has our willingness to give our lives to liberation, to well-being, to the end of all of this unnecessary suffering, has our willingness been all talk? Or have we been grasped to the point where our life has started to change? Our daily, weekly life. If you would, join me for just one more minute. 
Let's ask God to open up our eyes, open up our hearts, and let's ask God what needs to change. What needs to change about our lives? Is it the way we spend our time or our money? Perhaps there's something in our lives that needs to be resisted. Or in another way, are there practices or perhaps a deep spirit that needs to be cultivated within us? Does our life need to be developed in a new direction, away from one and towards another? You see, it's easy just to sit back and say that the church is to shoulder the world's burdens, that Christians are to co-struggle for our collective well-being and our collective liberation. But this struggle in our own faithfulness needs to be developed. Our commitment, our lives need changed step by step. And as Christians, we ask God to join us in this process of developing us, of reorienting our lives, and of turning us toward the way of the cross, the way of Christ. Now, there are parts of our personal lives in which bad habits or orientations have been developed over time that we all need to ask God to help us acknowledge, discover, and transform. But to wrap up this reflection on this day of defeat, everyone listening in knows that we can't just change ourselves individually. We need structural, systemic, and collective transformation. But that doesn't happen unless we are willing to fight. Our neighbors, our communities, the masses as a whole are the only way of transforming this world. Doesn't matter what you've read in a book, doesn't matter how much effort you put into this individually. But we, as part of the masses, have to start somewhere. And I think that starts with you and me developing our study and developing our practice. Studying revolutionary history, revolutionary theory, our own people's histories, and developing step-by-step the struggle, the faithfulness, and the commitment of the people. There are aspects of our study and our practice that need developed, that need taken more seriously. Because if we don't start to reshape our lives, move away from constant consumption in individual pleasure and comfort towards collective study, collective struggle, collective action, then we may die sitting outside this God-forsaken tomb. We are going to fail the people. We are going to fail the earth. And by failing the people and failing the earth, we will fail God. 
But instead of feeling down about ourselves up until this present moment of faithfulness, instead of looking past at our defeats or our failures and letting guilt make us feel like really shitty Christians, I think our failures are opportunities to learn. Failures can be rectified. Our lack of commitment, our lack of faithfulness can be addressed. And in every new day, we are given an opportunity to develop our faithfulness to a new height. And on this day of death and in the night of defeat, may we accept the need to be changed and ask God to help us through that transformation.